the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 411. I'm Paul Spain and with me is Jonathan Kubiak. Welcome along, Jonathan. G'day. Thanks for having me. Now, maybe you can fill listeners in where you fit into this sort of wide world of uh, tech in New Zealand, where you work and so on. Uh, well, I've always absolutely loved technology. Not always been in New Zealand, been in England prior, to, but I've been here for six years now. Um, but no, right now I work over at DJI Ferntech um, over in New North Road in Auckland. And uh, we are uh, New Zealand's drone retailer, so we import all the DJI drones and all the fun that goes along with those. Cool, cool. We're well, looking forward to having a bit of a um, catch up on what's happening in the in the DJI world. You know, of course, um, some interesting uh, product launches. You know, recently, yep. and uh, we went for a little bit of a, a drone fly last week. We did, yeah, uh, which was fun. So thanks for that. Um, but let's jump in, sort of chat chat through some of the uh, tech news of the week before we start uh, talking a little bit about drones and uh, autonomous ships and other other bits and pieces. Um, look, Microsoft have been in the in the news again, they had some issues with their um, October update for uh, for Windows 10, and yeah, of course they've moved into the cycle where every six months there's you know, effectively a new version of, of Windows 10 without changing its name from Windows 10. So we, you know we've got into this um, you know world of of continuous updates really uh, uh, you know across all sorts of uh, all, all sorts of software, and you know there's some good to that, but there's also some bad. And uh, you know, earlier on in the month, it was the it was the bad for Microsoft, where their uh, uh, update was causing uh, data loss. A very small percentage of of people saw that, which is. You know, I suppose why they didn't somehow capture that. Although you'd think that they need to be listening to the the single signals a little bit more uh, clearly within their uh, within their community. Uh, certainly, on the Windows Insider uh, perspective, those people that are trying out the pre-release versions, uh, you'd expect them to have sort of some sort of flashing red light when you get more than one person who loses data. Um, so. Somehow they missed that, and uh, now there's sort of reports coming through that they're also seeing uh, some issues with the actual final, you know, the fixed up version uh, to do with zip files. Now it's not quite as serious, but you know, someone's unzipping a file and overwrites a previous version. It's usually the sort of stuff you want to know about in case you know, in case you're overwriting something you need. Yeah, I mean, but as with any of these things, I mean, the issue itself was pretty minor. It's a little folder that probably never affected anyone, but everyone has to do these updates they don't really get a choice into whether they get done or not and to those that don't really want to know whether their computer's working or not probably haven't backed things up um they don't like to hear about files going missing when they've honestly tapped a button that said all of your personal details will be saved so it's it's a trust thing and that's Mm -hmm. where microsoft are going to really struggle and um Part of the problem as someone who's beta tested for Microsoft and Apple and their developer programs is that you're never quite sure when something goes wrong if it was just, oh, another beta glitch, and you might not report it because, you know, if you, I had a volume pausing, a, a pausing issue on my iPhone, and of course I contact tech support and they say, we won't talk to you because it's on beta. So you roll back off beta if you want and you go, I can't be bothered dealing with it. Now, do you actually write a report about it? Maybe not. So, it's as companies move towards getting the community to test their products because people like me absolutely love being able to be six months ahead of everyone else on it so we're all going to do it of course but as we move into that you know do they actually get to go through all the checks and balances that they're going to need to do to make sure everything's working well and again it's a trust issue it probably didn't really affect anyone badly 
It's it's but, almost like yeah. they need to offer some sort of a bug bounty, which is if you you know if you're mm. if you're within the first you know ten people to recognise a critical bug, you know something like that, then you know that encourage people to submit things because they might get some some benefit. If you're within the first to you know uh, highlight something that's actually you know is quite major, then there's a thousand dollars coming your way. You know some, something like that, right? Exactly. That, that would yeah. encourage people to. Oh, this wasn't really nice for me. Oh, look, I'll let them know. Ju- you know, just in case it was was not a one-off, not something on, you know, my laptop, my device, yeah. what what have you. Um, you know, would would maybe be a way to address that. In addition to them, obviously improving uh, whatever happens on their end, because you know we heard Microsoft knew knew about this one. So I mean, look, the software is never going to be perfect. We no. we mm. we know that. We accept that. Mm. It's also a good lesson, I think, that we should all be backing up <laughs> and make sure, you know, that you don't just have one uh, one copy of important stuff. But there are, you know, there there are times, particularly if you're not doing some, you know, continuous cloud backup, hmm. you know, there will be windows of time where data, oh, yep, I've moved that off this device to another location. And, you know, um, there are windows of time when you, you don't have something necessarily in two places at once, right? So. But there was also the time when my iPhone backup to iCloud, they changed the set, the, one of the settings of what got backed up reset during a, an uh, iOS update. And I didn't know about that until I lost a few. It was only some minor notes and things, but it wound me up. Yeah. So we, we trust these companies a lot with their data, and they need to be really careful with how they use it. Yeah, but, yep, yep. But it's I, certainly appreciated I, I compared to the old days yeah, <laughs> of yeah. how we had to do things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing, thing, things are getting better, but there is uh, there is yet to be p- perfection. Hmm. And I, you know, I think it's fair to say this is this is, this is a good reminder about those imperfections. Uh, not not helpful for uh, for Microsoft's reputation as it no. as it happens. <laughs> um, now on to uh, on to iPhone. So this week is when we see the next uh, uh, iPhone come out. Which is the 10R or XR as it's uh, as it's written, and you know this brings down a you know I guess an iPhone that's um, you know got some similarities to the iPhone 10 last year, which has you know completely disappeared. Certainly, um, you know more at the the sort of price point we we uh, were paying um, last year for say the um, you know the iPhone 8. Uh, type pricing and um, um, but bringing across the iPhone 10 type uh, type features. So launching in New Zealand between fourteen hundred and seventeen hundred dollars, mm-hmm. um, kind of pleasing that Apple's got that cap uh, filled in at what's a, you know I guess a more typical price point with a um, yeah a slightly less capable iPhone 10 than the um, uh, 10s and uh, 10s Max. Uh, not quite the such high spec sort of you know not the OLED screen and dual camera, uh, yeah. but still very very capable and they've built in the portrait mode type stuff with a you know single camera, which you know you you could say that's you know got some similarities to what uh, um, you know Google Google have done with um, uh, on on their side so uh, with a you know single single uh, camera. And uh, basically, AI doing all of the uh, all of the smarts, right? Yeah. So you're getting all of the features that people don't like to be left behind with. There's, you know, the, the face recognition, things like that, the beautiful full screens, um, but without the ridiculously high price tag. That said, if I'd said to you 18 months ago, it's only going to be 1,400 bucks, what would you have said back? So it's 
it's not the first time Apple have done a cheap phone. We had the 5C back in the day, the one with the coloured back, and then we had the SE, which was just a rebadged 5S. Um, but this is the first time they've done a cheap phone that's still got quite a high price tag. Yeah, well, and I mean, I guess very features with wise, spending. features wise, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, for not sure. light on the features. Absolutely, either, it's not it? light so, on the features. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting to see that Apple have looked at their market and said, "Do you know what? Cheap phones. We don't need to make them at all anymore. We can just push out these high quality products now." So, yeah, to a to a degree. I mean, there yeah. are we are still seeing sort of you know they're, they're offering so many years back sort of older older yeah. models, right? You know iPhone 6s's and so on in the market still buy for what yeah. yeah 500 or something indeed yeah um, so you know it is it is an interesting uh, interesting approach uh, that they you know they're keeping these older models obviously it's it's somewhat different to most of the other brands who yes they might sell a model from you know maybe a year back but you know they 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 fill in with all sorts of other models whereas you know Apple's way of doing that is with you know multi year back uh, models which yeah, we'll we'll uh, ultimately run into some issues with software updates, but we see probably bigger issues on the software update front on the Android side. So um, they're still in a in a state here where uh, you know I think it's going to work for them from a profitability perspective anyway. And to be fair, last time I was travelling, I resuscitated an old iPhone 5s for the trip as my second phone for the two SIM cards, oh, yeah. and it was still working perfectly fine. And that is a mm. testament to Apple. They've always had very good backwards support for their devices. Um, one of my good filmmaker customers, I know he's still using an Apple computer that is, I think, five years old as his edit suite. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's done a few upgrades on it himself, but Ab- Apple are pretty good at giving that backwards support and rolling on the software updates as long as they absolutely can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now um, on to autonomous tech, and we you know lo- love talking about things that can uh, that can drive themselves. Um, we've yet to see the uh, the autonomous uh, scooter yet, but of course we've got uh, we've got elect- electric scooters. And uh, I took the uh, one of the the Lime scooters uh, for a ride um, la- la- last week. And um, look, a few interesting things about them. First was the terms and conditions that came up on the app. And the the first line seemed at odds with what I've been told, which said you need to wear a helmet. I haven't seen anybody wearing a helmet on one of these things. So, um, you know, I was able to scratch my head on that one because I didn't have a helmet on. Um, and, uh, you know, I was sort of, yeah, left, left, left wondering. And, and to be fair, probably didn't get much further in the other terms and conditions. Yeah. Uh, but one of those I read about later was that, uh, I think you're supposed to be under ninety uh, under ninety kilos to to ride one, uh, and I th- one of the other things I read was a yeah seventeen degree incline is kind of the uh, um, so every hill in Auckland mo- most you can uh, deal with, and uh, well I sort of probably broke both of those on the particular journey I was trying to take from uh, uh, from from one part of the uh, city. Uh, to another you know a guy from so, Lime is disabling your account right now, right? Pretty much, and they've you know just docked a thousand dollars off my account, probably for ruining uh, one of their one of their machines. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether you're supposed to read these terms and conditions or not because they're, they're sort of somewhat rubbish. 
and it does, you know, they should be customised to where you are. You know, we, we were chatting earlier through the fact that in New Zealand, no, you don't need to wear a helmet no, to ride one no. of these things. Yes, from a safety perspective, you know, of course you're going to be in a in a better state if you're wearing a helmet, but, um, you know, and, yeah, there, there's, there's, you know, a, a bunch of aspects there. Um, but they should personalise it. I think they should be personalising to which city you're in as well. Mm. So, you know, Christchurch, which is... is Generally, pretty flat unless you're trying to go up the Port Hills, which I would say would be uh, would I'd be a bit of a challenge. Coming down would be quite fun. Coming down would be awesome. I think that's um, an excuse to put one in, on the back until of you try out the brakes and and realise that the brakes aren't actually that amazing. Uh, they're on, not that bad though. I've these had, I think they're better than those um, Onzos when they came out. The right, Onzos, right. I, I wasn't massively impressed with having ridden dockless bikes in Europe and China. In fact, right, right. I thought they were some of the worst had <laughs> yet because yep, they had no gears on them yeah um but no have you tried the onzo bikes um e scooters because they've they've launched as well haven't oh, they? i haven't tried their new e-scooters no. yet i heard okay. they were coming i didn't realize they were out yet but i've been having a bit of fun with the lime ones and yep. i've actually been earning a bit of beer money on the side uh, charging them up oh tell me about that so this is this is sort of i guess a little bit like the uber model right yeah so, exactly you know with the gig it, economy as we as we yep. call it so the, 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 there's there's two sides to it there's the consumer and then there's the uh, uh person that's helping sort of you know run run the business for them so mm. what do you do you go around you you've obviously set yourself as being a charger yeah and then you can uh, basically go around and pick them up. What time of day do you have to pick them up? So you can pick up anything you want after 9 p.m. Okay. And before that, if it's got less than 25% battery, it'll show up in your app and you can go and pick it up okay. and recharge it. So what do you do? You throw them in the car and then you... Throw them in the car, drive them back to your place, pop them on charge. They'll take about four or five hours. So do they give you some charges or do they yes. take a... Yeah, they yeah. initially gave people, I think, between four and eight charges. Yeah. And my understanding is that you can get more if you've got a proven track record of charging a lot up or you can buy them to push yourself up the queue um, but um, one thing I have done is I've hopped on there's a Facebook group for all the chargers worldwide and overseas shortage of chargers is always a complaint amongst them but it's a competitive market but it's it's quite a fun game of cat and mouse because everyone can see these in their app available for pickup and they're all chasing them because some of them you get more money than others. So once they haven't been ridden for a few hours, then Lime start putting the price up because maybe it's one that's quite hard to find. Right. And so oh, it's, it's okay. the technique. Do I go for the cheap ones that are nearby or do I try and target that one that's 10 minutes away that's paying double <laughs> and then turn up and find another guy's just nabbed it? So it's <laughs> it's quite a bit of fun with cat and mouse charging them up. But I think everyone's been having a lot of fun. Labor weekend was a great weekend to give everyone a crack on them. I went down to – I took my motorbike – um, for a bit of a spin last night, and all I could see was these things buzzing around Tamaki Drive, and right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw a lot of them about over the uh, um, over the weekend. That's yeah, for, that's for sure. It was just you know from you know we were t- two weeks ago and there weren't any to you know now you you know you can't go out without seeing people uh, uh, scooting scooting around on them. No, and um, I, I don't think we've heard any horror stories yet. No, nothing. But, you know, well, <laughs> you you say that, but I I did read about a horror story in the uh, in the news for something with a similar sounding name. Now, mm-hmm. mobility scooter, which, as we know, is quite different. You sort yep. of sit down on it. It's a it's a much more experienced, you know, a much more expensive and and you know chunkier variation mm-hmm. on an electric vehicle, uh, on a you know small electric single person thing to you know ride ride down the uh, street or the footpath um, and yeah there was a nest- nasty situation in uh, Western Australia that uh, the Age uh, uh, newspaper reported on 
and uh, there was a situation where one of these things caught fire mm. and um, you know with a sad result for the person that was uh, riding it and you know I guess they were using a mobility scooter because you know maybe they weren't so mobile themselves so uh, the situation and, was and they, probably quite minor but they couldn't escape the situation initially yeah, yeah. Um, well, so there's, there's obviously I guess a reminder yeah. around you know the volatility of these mm-hmm. batteries why you know why it's important that they are you know well protected and encased in metal and, and exactly. so on and we're seeing that type of safety I think actually get better and better um, you could thank Samsung probably a little bit for, oh, yes, uh, for, for that. And all of those hoverboards back where they got banned from every airliner. Mm. Um, lithium batteries used well can be safe, um, contained well. Where we've seen them fail has been in cheaper devices um, that haven't had the same checks and balances, such as all of those knockoff hoverboards that we saw. Um, and they really crippled the genuine electric skateboards, like the boosted boards, who immediately got travel bans on what was a very well-designed product. Um, and they felt quite harshly criticized for that that, because they were otherwise complying with all the airline rules and suddenly airlines banned them so lithium batteries can and are safe if used if if packaged appropriately but when they say careful of damage you've got to be careful um richard hammond you know the former top gear presenter famously crashed an electric car in i think it was switzerland and this thing had five thousand cells in it it took six days for the fire to go out because every time one cell went out, the next one lit up. <laughs> and um, the problem with a lithium battery is it's got its own oxygen supply. So it doesn't, you can't, carbon dioxide won't kill it, water won't kill it, it just keeps burning. So um, that's, that's where that's a bit of a challenge. But it's a challenge that the whole industry's had to deal with, be it a cell phone, be it a hoverboard, mm. be it a Tesla. They all use lithium. And unless we replace it with a less volatile battery, we've just got to protect them well. Um, DJI is probably a good example of that. There's a lot of circuitry that goes into protecting the batteries. They will, they are constantly monitoring temperature. They're monitoring differences in voltages. Um, and we get customers that get a bit upset when they maybe have damaged a battery and it doesn't look too bad. And they're like, oh, it should still work. But the drone refuses to let it work. Um, and it's doing that for a very valid safety reason. I've only ever seen one lithium battery on fire, and that was because someone shot it with a shotgun. Um, they would, they would probably it, do it was reasonable had a chunk yeah. of lead in the middle of it yeah. and yeah. the drone actually flew back on its second battery and landed safely so <laughs> <laughs> brilliant brilliant well yeah it's, I mean it's certainly pleasing to, to see what, what's gone on there from a safety perspective yeah. with, with smartphones uh, um, now talking talking of um, of smartphones Huawei have uh, have launched the uh, the Mate 20 uh, the Mate 20 Pro well launched they've had their launch uh, event their unveiling in uh, in London last week they had a, a small uh, small gathering in Auckland and you know other other locations around the place uh, which was yeah it's it very very pleasing when these things happen um, you know almost simultaneously around the world so I've been playing with the Mate 20 uh, Pro. And uh, yeah, putting putting it through its paces, see how it sort of lined up with all of the rumours that we heard last week. Which uh, I think they were they were pretty much all uh, all true. And um, one one of the interesting things was around this idea of a dual SIM slot with one of the SIM trays not being dual use for a micro SD and a nano SIM. But just being the standard nano SIM size, but the idea of being able to put a special memory card in that slot that's nano SIM sized, hmm. um, I guess it helps them sort of you know shrink down the technology. 
but it creates a you know a proprietary way of upgrading the memory. Uh, but when we compare that to Huawei's uh, P20 Pro, I don't think it had the uh, the memory uh, expansion, if I remember uh, correctly. So um, yeah, it's an, it's a very very interesting take on uh, on giving some memory expansion. The models that they're launching here in New Zealand, we've got the Mate 20, slightly larger screen, I think it's a 6.5 inch, coming into the New Zealand market uh, here in the next few weeks at uh, $1,200, and the Mate 20 Pro uh, coming. It at uh, fifteen hundred dollars, mm. um, and both of those with one twenty eight uh, gigs of storage, and, and expandable, and uh, and yeah, and, and expandable. Now, um, actually, I can't remember if the expandable is across both okay. models or not. Actually, although I do, I do have a bit of paper here with all <laughs> sorts of bits and pieces on it, so it may actually, yeah, no, they both are um, up to uh, yeah. You can put a two fifty six gig. Um, uh, they call it an NM uh, card. So at this stage, uh, you know, proprietary um, card to uh, uh, Huawei, but you know, possibly that'll um, that'll become available more more broadly if other people pick up on this uh, this same concept. Apparently, you can get a uh, a little converter and convert it to a uh, a micro SD Excellent. as well, so you yep. can use it in your usual card readers and uh, uh, and the like. But the thing that stood out for me was that. Like uh, what Apple have done with the iPhone, but but uh, at this stage, you know, a, a step better is this is a dual SIM phone being launched with New Zealand telcos. Mm. So the iPhone, one of the SIMs is an eSIM, which isn't much use to us in New Zealand just yet. Uh, but with the Mate has 20, potential though, uh, yeah, especially when yeah. you're traveling. For yeah, a business in, user. in, in yeah. the future, I'm sure that will mm. be will be more relevant. Uh, but the Mate 20 Pro, right out of the box, is being launched by uh, Two Degrees and Spark. Um, Vodafone, I'm picking, have been put off because this would have been their first. Full, you know, full dual SIM phone. Spark. It is their first time they've launched a dual SIM phone, other than the the iPhone with it with its at this stage sort of somewhat useless eSIM in in New Zealand. So, um, yeah, I thought that was sort of a reasonably bold move from Huawei. They've obviously sort of weighed up how how important they feel their brand is in the market. They're now the uh, the number two uh, smartphone brand in terms of uh, number of units sold, I believe. So you know they were able to knock Apple down a peg in those regards, and you know I'm I'm, I'm guessing that some stage over the next year or so uh, that they will be um, you know well certainly that they will be working right now on how they knock Samsung off that number one uh, spot. You yeah, know, this, got this is all about them. coming in with. With a mix of lower prices mm. and and innovative devices, but with this Mate Twenty Pro, look, it's a it's a really really good all round um, device, and it you know it does stand out from an innovation uh, perspective. But I certainly wouldn't have been picking that uh, Huawei would have been the one that had convinced um, Spark, who have never ever released a dual SIM phone uh, in the market uh, before. I. I get what you're saying about the telco, but I do. The New Zealand market particularly does make sense. Um, I've seen. I mean, I'm I'm an immigrant to New Zealand, and for my first six months here, I ran a Jawsome phone 
because I wanted to still, while I was winding up my UK SIM card, continue with my New Zealand one. And we see the same with many people, particularly from Asia, uh, from Asia or from the Pacific Islands, um, who may want to run dual SIMs. We have Wi-Fi calling now on most telcos worldwide, so it may not cost them to run that other SIM card, but it gives them that connectivity back to another country. So I don't think it's surprising from that point of view. Expandable storage is something that I really am a fan of here in New Zealand because um, testing in the US, super fast, 4G speeds is great when you're running off the cloud, but I've been frustrated so many times trying to show someone a video with the little loading icon showing yes. from my cloud storage yeah. over a rather average 3D, 3G signal somewhere near, near Dargaville or wherever, you know, and yeah. uh, it's just a frustration. You actually want it on your device. It's, you filmed it on your device, you want to save it there. You don't mm-hmm. want someone telling you that it's going to be deleted off your device. So, dual SIM, yeah, um, I think the traditional telcos have realized that they can't try and lock customers into, uh, that they can't make them exclusive to them. They simply won't stick around. Um, I've seen many. Uh, I've seen many of my friends, particularly particularly the, uh, Asian friends, who you s- in the back of their phone case they've got two other SIM cards and they're constantly chopping them in and out, yes, depending yeah. on what they're wanting to do. Yeah, um, yeah. China is an interesting market because so many of their things, so many there are so many things in China, be it messenger services or payment services, that um, from someone that's travelled to China do actually depend on you having a mainland China phone number to use and you may still be able to use those overseas but you'd need the SIM card for the occasional verification code Yeah. yeah. so that's why you're seeing the likes of Huawei trying to break in with mm. this model and mm-hmm. it has to be remembered that a few years ago Huawei were a massive phone brand only in China and there were people trying to take phones out of China because they'd heard how good they were <laughs> but they weren't selling internationally because they weren't we've got a big enough market here so they're not as new as we think they are. They've been around for a while, and they're making some pretty incredible phones at some good price points. So the big players are rightfully going to get scared. Samsung first, but Apple will be around the corner as well. Yeah. Well, um, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm, um, uh, I'm kind, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious what, uh, you know, what would be, what would be the impact on Samsung? I imagine Samsung are going to be working pretty hard. You know, to hold the market share they've got. Mm. You know, they've been very consistent. You know, really mm. good devices. Um, you know, they, they've great cameras. All you know, all these varying aspects to uh, to what they do. Um, the, now, the, the one thing that surprised me, and look, you've, as I say, it's pretty uh, pretty innovative from a you know technology front. You've got um, a fingerprint reader that's uh, that's under the glass. Now that there's been a couple of sort of smaller manufacturers that have done this in the past, and and their uh, their attempts at it haven't been that good because that technology is still maturing. Um, I would say that uh, the the timing that Huawei have have done, so they've gone to a sort of a face ID type thing where it's um, it, it's like the uh, Oppo Find X and the um, you know the iPhone uh, 10, and that it's got a you know 3D facial uh, unlock, uh, but it's also got this fingerprint reader, and that sort of combination seems to work quite well. Mm. I would say each of those individually isn't as good as the tech that we've maybe mm. seen from from others in terms of just how quick and yep. and and reliable it is. But together, it actually does uh, it does work uh, pretty well and. Um, yeah, I'd be someone who has 
wished that the iPhone 10 and its uh, and its new variants had a fingerprint reader as well. Likewise, um, I really like Face ID. Yeah, I thought it was a gimmick until I had it for two hours, and then I realised how often I'd used it in those two hours. But there are times I'd like to just chuck my fingerprint on there. Especially someone that's often wearing a motorbike helmet. Yeah, there are those scenarios, right? Where, <laughs> and it's where that it's, four uh, seconds before the pen code comes up that's yeah. really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, I think it, you know it's a good good approach. Um, there, there's an aspect of having the fingerprint reader under the glass. You, you could put it on the back of the phone, as we've seen on lots of yep. other ones, mm. uh, or Sony have done on lots of their devices. Actually, do it on the um, on the power button on the side, which I r- was a really big fan of. Um, I think they might have. I think they've dropped that actually in their in their, their latest uh, latest models. Um, but the big advantage of the glass, of course, is that the case manufacturers won't be troubled by it. Yes. So yeah. I mean, the case manufacturers will never cover up the glass. But they so, didn't anyway. They'd leave a hole for the you know the still fingerprint reader. Makes things easier. Yeah. 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 Um, so look, you know, there, there's there's really lots that's good in there. The you know the three cameras, and look, I was trying that out over the weekend uh, with the family. We went out to uh, well, a few places, but we were out at uh, Beth, Bethel's Beach, which is you know just just stunning, and um, you know trying out the different cameras. You got this what they call a point six zoom, uh, so it's their their real wide angle okay. uh, camera. So you're fitting a lot more in mm. than you uh, than you normally would, and and this is something that. Uh, LG have done in their uh, uh, in their phones as well. You've got that. You've got your standard sort of one time zoom, and then you've got your three times uh, zoom, and then they've got got a software five times, which I'm not a not a not a big fan of. Um, but yeah, having uh, having that range of choices is actually really good. They're still very strong on the uh, on the low light. They've dropped the monochrome camera that they had uh, in the uh, the P P20 Pro, but uh, doesn't seem to have caused them any uh, any issues, and you know what I've seen so far. So, um, yeah, overall, look, um, some some very nice things. And then there's that uh, wireless charging uh, that they've put in there. And not only have they got uh, wireless charging now to keep up with the competition, uh, it's fifteen. It can do it fifteen watts, so it's doing you know faster than uh, uh, than what I think anybody else is doing it. Uh, and then they've got what they're calling reverse wireless charging. Uh, so you know you've Give got boost, n- yeah. nice big uh, battery mm-hmm. in there, and uh, somebody else is running low. Uh, yeah, she give them, uh, you know, give them some some charge wirelessly, which is is kind of cool. It's QI, so it'll even work on an iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the that the, you know the Qi wireless charging, uh, you know, standard that we've you know finally landed on the you know I guess the past mm. sort of. Uh, um, uh, you know, year or so. Um, now that now that Apple are on board, it's it really does seem to be mm. picking up uh, picking up steam. It was you know a little bit of challenge while there were two standards, uh, you know, two two mm. standards sort of that were were still uh, gaining uh, um, you know ex- acceptance from the likes of Samsung and so on. It's uh, it's a lot simpler now, and uh, yeah, very very cool to see that feature. And now we've settled on a standard. We won't just see it in a charger pad. I mean, I looked at. We don't have IKEA in New Zealand yet, no matter how hard we ask them for it. 
but their um, bedroom furniture range, their desk ranges, they've got wireless charging built into lamp stands to desktops to all sorts. So we'll soon see your kitchen worktop will have wireless charging built in. We'll see the same for your work desk. You'll go into a coffee shop and your phone will be charging on the counter. So we'll see a lot more opportunities to charge your phone and a true enter wires. Yeah, most mm. of those ones around at the moment charge really, really slow. There's like a real trickle charge. Here in New Zealand have got them in their... Uh, you know, premium check-in, and uh, you know you can. And you, you're never in there, you know, generally for very long unless something's gone gone uh, gone seriously wrong with your uh, your your booking or something. And so uh, you know, you get about two minutes worth of uh, worth of charging. Well, wireless charging uh, is but, always slower, but it, it's a top up, mm. and it lets us move over from a. We've recognised that devices do struggle to last all day, no matter what they say when they release them. They all struggle to last all day and have done for years because of the amount we use them. And so those little top-ups, that little extra 10% that just gets you through the day several times throughout the day, because mm. your phone is going to be on a desk or on a bus or something at some point. Yeah. And so it's not difficult to offer these. Um, so as you move through the day, sure, they're not the fastest in the world because your cafe owner doesn't want to spend $90 on a good one. He wants to spend four dollars on a rubbish one um but it's something mm-hmm. yeah yeah no i think it's uh it's it's really good to see so yeah i would um i would say yeah huawei have done a really good job with this and yeah i think yeah generally as we're looking across the new phones that are coming out into the market they're all really really good um certainly you know most of what we look at but you know in terms of the the android that sort of launched into the market um you know locally um i mean yeah huawei are really nailing it with uh with with this one and look i you know i know people have their brand preferences and and uh you know i think you know samsung are, are going to be incredibly dominant for uh you know for a long time to come and their their devices are really good and reliable um but is an interesting thing here is if you pick up the huawei mate uh, mate 20 and you kind of you know look 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 at the shape of it and the styling. Uh, it looks as hot as a Samsung. <laughs> uh, this is the yeah, it's the first time I've sort of seen um, seen that shape because the the edges sort of uh, you know curve curve off the edges of the screen, sort of you know curve off to the uh, the the side. And um, I don't know, I wasn't quite so quite so sure about that because it did. Did sort of um, you know feel like a, a blatant ripoff in a in a way, but uh, you know when you look at the rear of the the device with its um, uh, square sort of array of uh, three cameras and uh, um, the the flash there and you know the other aspects that that vary, mm. you have a quick look. It's you know it's pretty clear it's not uh, it's not a Samsung, but it does feel you know quite uh, uh, quite similar in your hand. That said, all these devices are getting very similar, right? In terms of well, the, the reality uh, is you're just putting the, a screen that the, covers the, the whole of the front right. of the device. So yeah. it's you know how could you how can you make how can you put your own positive spin on that? It's not like the old days where we had a nice one to nine keyboard down the bottom to reorganise. Yeah, so I mean they've done their own things. There's a the, this one um, that I was sent has a has a red um, uh, red power power button uh, to it. Um, and there's you know a nice finish on the back and and so on. Um, quite it's quite slippery. Not as bad as probably some phones, uh, but without the case on it, which they still are including a case in the box, which I I do quite uh, quite quite like. Um, they have gone away from. They used to always put a uh, a screen cover on their on their phones, uh, which is convenient if you were someone that liked to, liked a screen cover. 
but uh, it does take away a little bit of the, the I don't know, what would be the word? Um, the brilliance. The panache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something of the, the styling, because it it's a pretty stunning, uh, pretty stunning handset. And, um, you know, when you look at it price-wise, it, uh, you know, its price is is very competitive with yep. what it's uh, what it's competing with, and I'm sure that's uh, part of what will help it. But I think actually right now, you know, we're we're seeing Huawei deliver a phone that sort of you know competes with uh, with the best of them, and and um, you know, arguably is you know you could you could argue is better than anything else on the on the market, mm. um, depending on what are the the features and the things that you're uh, that you're looking for, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what struck me the first time I ever heard of Huawei, when they were only available in China. And I went and had a look at their website, and I initially thought it was it was fake, because it was so good. And then I read reviews, and everyone was raving about them who'd managed to get hold of one. And that's, yeah, that's mm, when I mm, got mm. quite interested in them as a company. But uh, yeah, they just built their brand there, and then finally exported it once they had the ability to manufacture on that scale. Mm. Well, and, you know, the other thing we've seen is their prices are sort of, you know, I wouldn't even say... 200 bucks less than everyone else. (laughs) Well, not creeping up. They've been moving up at quite a pace. But then, of course, the rest of the industry, uh, you know, we've seen prices go up as as well. Um, Interesting that the price point here is quite a lot lower than it is in the UK. Um, and some some other markets. So we seem to have uh, got the opposite of, for instance, what we've got with uh, with the with the iPhone, where some of the new iPhones are, um, you know, we're paying a bit of a premium in New Zealand for them. Hmm. So whereas here we seem to be getting a slightly better price in New Zealand. Well, so. part of the reason we pay a premium is because when they price a product, they look at providing the after sales support, which in our corner of the world is quite expensive because they don't have any base here. I mean, you have to go into local resellers. I needed some AirPods repaired recently and I had to go to a local reseller and I, I felt awkward actually because I went, I haven't purchased these from you, but yet it's your problem to deal with it. Um, well, that means they're making money out of it. It means so they're making money. They, they are, of course, but you know, it was, it was a strange feeling to go to someone else to get a product that I bought direct from Apple repaired. Um, whereas Huawei, I was obviously going back to China, which is much closer, and there's a lot of trade between New Zealand and China. They're a very um, significant partner for New Zealand. Um, and we're also noticing a tightening, as, as China takes on more of the world's um, markets, we're noticing a tightening between us and the US. Traditionally, we've always had to you know, pay quite a bit of a surcharge. But um, recent politics means there's now tariffs on Chinese goods in the US that we don't have here. So um, we're seeing a tightening up of pricing there as well. Mm, um, mm, so interesting, we're, it's, it's nice to see that finally you don't have to wait to a holiday to buy all your tech stuff, so you can actually pay a reasonable price for it. You can, yeah, you can yeah. support a good local reseller. And pay a reasonable price and get that local support, which is yep. always good. Yep. Uh, now, another couple of um, products wanted to chat through. Um, so this year, um, D-Link have come out with a couple of um, Wi-Fi sort of mesh uh, mm. products, and uh, they're they're quite interesting actually. Um, the uh, the 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 first one is quite, you know quite a quite a low uh, low low profile uh, unit. They come in a pack of three. Um, they're uh, AC twelve hundred um, uh, based. And um, what what was interesting uh, about these ones was just you know they they seem to be uh, or of all of their products is they seem to be targeted at really any consumer just plug in get them up and running very quickly so when this one came through um, I had a uh, 
uh, a friend who was very keen to to try out this sort of stuff, uh, not based in Auckland. And so I said, well, look, you know, you're trying to get this coverage in your new house. Why don't you try it out for me and see how you go? Um, and basically the feedback I got from him was, look, it was, you know, it was reasonably easy to set up. Um, but it, uh, he, he did have a couple of issues and that highlighted to me, you know, I, I guess that uh, non-tech people, uh, you know, uh, people aren't sort of naturally tech inclined, um, you know, don't always think through how a network's got to be put to uh, you know, put together, and um, so there was a little, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of confusion around the fact that I think you know their existing router already had Wi-Fi on it. This created its own, you know, network sort of operated as a router basically. Uh, so you know, say, say an existing, mm-hmm. you know, printer or something that was on the other network, um, this you know they couldn't talk to each other and so on. So um, yeah, just just things to be aware of if you know mm-hmm. if you're um, yeah buying this sort of stuff or. Family members buying it, they're still not, you know, quite there in terms of absolute uh, simplicity yet, uh, but certainly getting getting uh, getting a lot better. Um, the other thing I found was it seems as though they weren't maybe fully fully set up um, out of the box. So I uh, I, I tried up their uh, their cover, which is COVR um, twenty two hundred um, O two. Model, which just came with the the two access points. One of them go, connects directly to your router, and then you put the other one where else, wherever else you need it to get coverage. It definitely made a big difference uh, in my my home with getting you know fast connection, um, you know further afield in the in the house. Um, but you know, of course, uh, lazy sort of uh, tech guy who sort of assumes, oh well, I've get, got this, so it's all preset up and it'll just work. You just plug it in. Actually, you did have to run through the, uh, you did have to run through some instructions and and install it just how they wanted. I think we should be fair to them, though. I mean, if I'd asked you two years ago how to set up a multi-access point Wi-Fi network in your house. It would not have been as simple as the three steps you probably still had to go through with your D-Link. Exactly. Sure, and it was half an hour of your time, you but ins- it wasn't three days. You install an app, and, uh, and, yeah. you know, it's actually, and it's actually pretty easy. And, yeah, it's a sign of how far these things have come. They're, they're a whole lot easier. Um, look, it's good to see that we've, you know, we've got a number of players um, you know, in the space now. Google Home. Uh, yeah, you've got mm. you know, Google, Google uh, playing there with their, um, uh, with their home you know, Wi-Fi. Uh, you've got Netgear mm. as well. Uh, Ubiquity have a product, so yeah, there's a good bit of uh, competition. Now, I'll chat on a future episode around the um, uh, the Google uh, product because I've got that uh, that as as well. Um, this does give you sort of a, a little bit of control over other devices on the of the devices on the network. And you know, for instance, you've got kids with certain devices. You want to say, hey, you can just use this between you know these hours. Uh, you can set that level of control on a uh, device, sort of. You know, it'll recognise by MAC address, and it'll you know tell you what it's what it's come up as. Um, so, you know, for instance, um, my son has a, uh, a Kindle Fire um, tablet, and so this you know would give me some control to say, hey, it's not getting getting access to Wi-Fi in particular hours. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. I know other you know others are, are doing different things around uh, parental controls and hours of access and so on. Um, but it is reasonably easy to do you know straight through uh, straight through the device and uh, or yeah straight through the app um, you know on on your smartphone and yeah not really too hard to uh, to set up. So um, yeah, good good to see that. Um, 
you know, Wi-Fi is getting a, a little bit easier to get uh, to get Indeed. better coverage. Um, they they do um, have their limitations now. The um, the Cover twenty two hundred two uses um, they refer to as as tri tri band uh, mesh networking. Um, so you know that that means that you've still got. Um, it's not using up your your core sort of Wi-Fi bandwidth uh, to actually communicate between the devices. So, mm. um, yeah, that's that's kind of good from a, a performance perspective. You can also plug these into uh, to Ethernet as well to spread the signal around. So, it's not just Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi. If you've got uh, you know Ethernet between them and you want to put one a bit further afield, you can do that as well. And to be fair, what we are finally seeing is new homes being uh, wired for data with as much stress on data as you would on your regular um, services, your plumbing, your, your electricity, they're finally giving that consideration too. I mean, yeah. as I said earlier, I grew up in the UK in a 1930s house where the broadband came in and the router was by the front door and I was on the third floor. And so, <laughs> in a brick house. Yeah. So my Wi-Fi always, was always terrible, always no matter what I do. And yeah. in the end, I ran an yeah. Ethernet all the way up the stairs and moved the router. Good move. So we are blessed in New Zealand um, with slightly easier houses to move the Wi-Fi around in. Um, but yeah, it's it's always going to be difficult, and we can't increase the strength of these because there are legal limits on the strength. Yeah. So these mesh networking solutions are where we're going to be going if we're wanting to be streaming 4K on 10 devices in your house. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, now, we should talk uh, a little bit about what's happening in um, in Droneland, and especially, uh, you know, DJI since uh, yeah. you know, you're working at the DJI store and uh, obviously up you know up with the play on what's happening there now yeah we did talk uh, recently around the um, um, yeah the Mavic uh, 2 Pro Mavic 2 uh, Zoom uh, launching into the market certainly some you know pretty incredible uh, features of course that that DJI has really sort of dominated the market in terms of you know market share and I think on that you know same episode we talked mentioned uh, unique sort of offering a new uh, a new model uh, as well, and um, their one was sort of coming coming in um, at a similar sort of price to the uh, the, the lowest end uh, DJI product. But I noticed they don't seem to have any uh, distribution at all in New Zealand at the at the moment. It was a smaller player, um, and when you looked at the features, it was you know it was clear that the um, you know the the new DJI offerings were uh, uh, you know head and shoulders above what what Unique were offering. But you know that that said, um, you know, quite a different sort of price point um, product. Mm. So um, yeah, run, maybe run us through sort of you know the the highlights of what's been happening in the in the DJI world. Well, uh, DJI for some time now have built their own cameras into their drones. They uh, when they first came out, it was expected you go and strap a GoPro onto it, and away you went. But DJI quickly worked out they could make a much more finessed product if they built the camera themselves. And as we've seen with phones over the last few years, that's all people care about, the camera quality. And so the latest offerings from DJI, the new Mavic 2, um, well, take a back step. The Mavic 1 came out two years ago and was the first proper folding drone that you could really take with you conveniently. Um, I had held off purchasing a drone for years because I'm a motorcyclist and I want to go down a tiny little gravel road and get the drone out and look at a beautiful vista and I can't do that with a drone that's in a suitcase. So um, I bought the Mavic the day it came out and loved it. Um, and what they've taken is they've taken what was a fantastic drone and put incredible cameras on it. So um, one thing we've also seen with phones of late is that they've finally added le- uh, camera lenses that aren't that standard 24mm wide-angle lens that we're so used to seeing, be it a GoPro, a phone, a drone. And so we've now got this zoom model, which is really nice. It's got a beautiful optical zoom. And then if you're filming in normal HD, 
so 1080 HD, um, which to be fair is sufficient for many people that don't have a full edit suite to edit, you know, beautiful 4K footage. Um, then that can zoom in another two times over digitally. Um, and that's really nice because having that different look on a scene, particularly if you're following an object or something. So let's say you're, you're tracking the kids running down the beach. It's such a different effect to actually have the drone zoomed in. They may still fill up the entire frame, but because the drone's further away, for a start, your subject isn't aware of the drone so much. So if you've got a dog or something that might have ordinarily been distracted by the drone, he won't notice. But also just the aspect, because you're not looking at that wide view, it's now that narrow view. It looks so much nicer and far more artistic, like what we're used to seeing in the movies that we try and emulate, but we're stuck with this wide-angle camera. Yeah, and it's good yeah. to have a wide-angle lens, because, yeah, yeah. you you know, particularly um, with the flight rules we have, we can't always fly half a mile away to get the nice zoom lens um, looking beautiful you need to get close to things because you know we're limited with where we can fly so they've done a zoom version but then for those that want the creme de la creme they've done um, a 20 megapixel camera again on a drone that's the size of a water bottle mavic 2 pro and uh, that's um they've used their relationship with hasselblad hasselblad have been making some of the world's best cameras for years um they're not very well known to people outside of the photo- um, the photography community, um, but they actually designed cameras that went on the space shuttle, um, yeah, space telescopes. Very, they, very they are a very successful yeah. camera company. DJI quietly bought quite a large stake in them a while back because DJI have for years been wanting to move away from mounting other cameras on their drones. Um, they're doing the same with filmmakers. Filmmakers are less and less attaching film cameras to drones but instead flying a DJI drone with a DJI camera. And for that, and for a camera that's manufactured by not one of the camera manufacturers, to be acceptable to the market is quite something. Um, I mean, as an example for, for the layperson, if, you, if you've got a 500 gigabyte hard drive um, with DJI's best camera that they make themselves, it would fill up in 11 minutes. Um, for some of the filmmakers that are out there. Um, so that's that's the sort of quality you're talking. Thankfully not for the smaller Mavic. That's got a few more hours of mm, space on mm, the drone. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's their two offerings from a consumer level. But and they, then they've got the low, the low, the low cost one, which is... They do, yeah. They've got the Spark, which is still seven, got 700 a... 700 bucks. 700 bucks, still got a loyal customer base. It's actually my favorite drone to fly. Now, I've two weeks ago I was flying a drone worth over $50,000 sure it's a lot of fun but it's really nice just to whip a spark out nip around just have a laugh mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. at the end of the day humans since uh, back in the ancient Greeks had a tale about Icarus trying to fly away and he went too close to the sun and his wings melted off that he made out of beeswax we've always wanted to fly it's been the one thing we can't do we've sussed land transport and 100 years ago we managed to fly in an aircraft but it's still expensive and so drones really give us that wonderful freedom of flight um, that we've always longed for. <laughs> what's, so. what, what's your take? We've talked a lot about um, autonomous air taxis. What's your What's your take on that tech? You think uh, that the, the you know the the tech is now um, you know sort of in place, and we'll we'll see those things actually in our skies in the next sort of five or ten years. Uh, the issue you've got with um, small vehicle air transport is it's still expensive um, to achieve um, because. You're obviously having to put the effort in to lift a lot more weight into the sky. Uh, drones are popular. Part of the reason DJI have produced their own cameras is because they're able to make them incredibly lightweight mm. as a result. So a camera that used to weigh 6 kgs now weighs 200 grams, and the drone's correspondingly smaller. The biggest weight on any drone, pretty much, is the battery. And so that's where the technology needs to move. The reason we don't have battery-powered airliners yet is simply because it's not efficient. 
you know, at the current size of planes with the space we'd be willing to donate instead of fuel weight to battery weight, we're still looking at a one-hour flight time instead of eight hours. Um, however, in smaller transportation, the economies of scale kind of work out, but I don't think we'll be in hover cars anytime soon. So you're not, plan- you're not planning to be uh, taking one to, uh, to work in- instead of uh, riding a-, a scooter or your motorbike? I like my motorbike. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, though, um, I think AI will certainly continue mm. to dominate. Mm. I mean, mm. as we all know, the planes can take off crews and land themselves and half the accidents are pilot error so you do the maths <laughs> yeah it comes down to a human trust thing now talk talking about that rolls royce uh working with intel to deliver uh yeah basically automated uh ships self-driving uh ships mm. um the 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 thought is that these things will be uh um you know in the market by around 2025 through this uh, uh this this partnership um, different different Rolls Royce than the um, uh, the side that does the uh, the, ca- the cars, of course. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is quite uh, quite interesting to me because uh, you know I guess getting on the road has uh, so many complexities. Getting in the water, still a lot of complexities, still a lot that's uh, uh, that's at risk, but. Certainly, when you sort of talk about you know heading out to sea, um, you know we we still we still see accidents. We've had them happen here, you know, in, in New Zealand waters too, um, where you imagine in a lot of those cases something that's autonomous, that's kind of you know looking at the GPS data versus the depth and you know um, what other vessels are around could in many cases uh, be actually safer. Now, you know, I, I, I'm also interested in the sort of the halfway point where this stuff becomes assistive, uh, you know, to a captain that's still steering the ship, but then is getting this mm. extra uh, extra data, which, you know, seems to me to, to be of, um, you know, immediate and, and instant uh, interest. Well, automation is nothing new. We've seen it for years on assembly lines, we've seen it on roller coasters, and then we've seen it on train lines. And the reason for that is because they control every variable. Mm. So where it's been difficult to bring in AI and automatic control has been just predicting the amount of variables we'll get. And on the road, there are a lot. There are people on lime scooters coming out of side roads. There are people running across the road. There are animals. So roads are always going to be the hardest. That's why train lines were first to have... We had automated subways probably 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Um, The skies um, and the sea will be next because they're actually a relatively controlled environment to an extent. Um, airspace is already managed by air traffic controllers following very standardized rules. And sure, there are human operators, but actually air travel is one where there's a lot of respect for the rules. The same can't be said for the roads. Um, so less variables is what I'm getting at. Mm, and mm. the sea is not difficult. Once you're on the high sea, that's the reality. It's a slow-moving vehicle, albeit with a big stopping distance. But one of the busiest waterways in the world is the English Channel, and that's already managed entirely automatically. And they get the management of telling ships where they can go, and they get a huge fine if they break those rules. Yep. yep. Um, in shipping, the expense they constantly try and cut down on is manpower. Um, the shipping industry—it's—it's it's the industry we don't see because it sits on you know the ninety percent of the world covered with water. But it actually, 97% of everything in this room will have arrived in a container on a ship. Um, and we don't see the human side behind it. And the ship crews are small, but there's still a cost. Um, sh- the shipping industry has incredibly tight margins. And so they basically recruit people from any country that pays the lowest wages. 
at the moment with the least um, with the least labour laws. Yes, so which if they can get rid of people, a few problems, yeah. Which and so if they can um, if they can have less people on a ship, they'll be very happy. And it, it wouldn't be completely implausible to have. We're just scared because it's big, mm. but the reality is. If the ship is able to transpond its location to other people, if it can autonomously look in its environment, if it's using technologies like LiDAR that can penetrate through bad weather, can penetrate through fog and see other objects, um, on the high seas, sure, there's a lot that can go wrong, but you can also see things a lot further away. Mm. So I, I, I'm surprised we're not doing it already, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, mm. this, it makes a huge amount of sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, now... Well, I have oh, another another one here. Just uh, just little uh, news bit that I saw come in this afternoon. Um, SLI Systems in uh, in Christchurch uh, been listed on the stock exchange here. You know, in, in New Zealand for a number of years, they've mm. um, been listed. They they went up to a reasonably high price, but have been uh, pretty low the last uh, last few years. Uh, looks like there's a, a takeover offer for uh, for them, and um, um, more than more than likely at this stage, based on um, their initial Initial um, uh, commentary I'm seeing is that um, is that that will uh, will will go through. So uh, uh, shareholders like me will uh, will get <laughs> will get some sort of uh, some sort of a return for them, uh, depending on where they when they bought in. I think their uh, their share price uh, last week was around uh, thirty cents. This offers sixty three cents um, a share. But uh, when they launched on the stock exchange, I think it was about a dollar fifty. Um, mm. You know per per share. Uh, but no doubt there'll be some, um, you know, some people very interested in um, uh, in making that uh, that that exit. Um, although the company has sort of come come to profitability over the last uh, year or so. Now, um, a couple of other, just a couple of other questions on the um, the the drone front. Sure. Um, the Skydio R one looks quite quite a uh, quite an interesting drone, being sort of that'll be you know, something that's interesting aut- to follow, autonomous yeah. to a, mm. a bit further level than what we're uh, what we're seeing on others. I mean, I did like with playing with the DJI, just how good its collision avoidance was when you know, especially when it's uh, heading forwards, doesn't have that in all directions um but I think you know we we uh, uh, you know we had it uh, f- you know coming straight towards both of us and uh, you know one of the modes it's able basically just just it fly was flying around. around us or over no, us. Another yeah. option mm. is it can uh, you know can just sort of stop. Um, so some you know some really great mm. uh, great technology um, in the DJI's today that that's not in you know most of uh, most of the other sort of products within that you know that that compete at those sort of yeah you know, the low, lower end anyway. Um, what do you know about the the um, the Skydio. Well, it was actually put together by a couple of MIT students, and their whole premise was a drone that truly can avoid everything. And so, every single test video has had them in the most complex forest possible. Yeah, a drone's yeah. nightmare. Essentially, branches all over the show yeah, trying yeah. to follow people. Um, and where they differ from DJI is that they actually try and model the environment and then plan a route, whereas a DJI will look at the where you're directing it and try and avoid things that might present an issue. Yeah. So yeah. the Sky D- so so the the Skydio looks for um, it's doing the flying, whereas the DJI lets you do the flying, but it also helps you not bump into things along the way. Yeah, so yeah. it's 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 it, it matters for what you want to do. Um, Skydio they are now selling in a few Apple stores in the states. Um, the reason they're doing that is because you can actually fly the whole thing from your watch. 
from an Apple Watch. <laughs> and so that's why that partnership's there. It's probably a bit of a gimmick, and it is very expensive, and it's $2,000. Yeah. US dollars. I'm not sure what right. that would convert to here, but it's a lot of money for otherwise not an amazing camera, not yeah. an amazing drone. And, but and, I, and I imagine... The tech you, is incredible. Yeah, and I imagine, you know, as we see with smartphones and everything else, uh, yeah, if those are capabilities of something people are wanting, then mm. we'll, we'll see, yeah. DJI likely, uh, you know, pick up that technology in the, in, in the future. You would maybe, you would, you but it comes down to what you imagine. It comes down to what you want because it is true autonomy with the Skydio. You're not really telling it much. You're just telling it the object to follow. Mm. And I personally quite like actually doing the creation myself. Yeah, <laughs> yep. So it it really comes down to what you want out of a drone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, that's us um, for for this week. So thanks very much, Jonathan. Pleasure. It's been uh, it's been fun to catch up and. Uh, uh, and, and chat about drones and all the other things uh, happening this week. Now, if people are wanting to um, uh, track you down, or um, you know, they're interested in the, the DJI store, you know, how do they uh, how do they find you? Just uh, Google DJI Phone Tech. We're over at ninety six New North Road and in Terrace. If you want to come in for a chat, we've also got our store down in Christchurch. But otherwise, online, Facebook, Instagram, DJI Phone Tech. That's where we are. We're local. We've got drone experts, and all we deal in is drones. So we're right. always happy for a chat about drones. Yep, and um, and of course, um, as a distributor, does that mean other places that are selling DJI? They're coming through you guys as well. I see there are not a lot necessarily. Of it does vary. Yeah. It does, does vary. vary yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we always make sure you get the best deal, though. So <laughs> <laughs> nice, but nice. it's just nice to have that local support. Um, well, it was quite cool to go into the store, and yeah. you know, you've got one of the sort of netted cages that I, you know, have seen for you know many years at, at CES because. Uh, they have some pretty big ones at CS, I've got to say, uh, from a lot of the you know a lot mm. of the drone makers and and so on. But it was cool to see you know that permanently set up in the in the store and you know full full lineup of uh, of product. Mm. So uh, yeah, it's good. What I like about it is we had a guy in this morning um, who I was helping out, and sadly he's just got terminal cancer. Like he brought a chair with him, but he just wanted something to fly. Now when I went to install the app on his phone from, so I helped him set it up. Um, he'd never actually installed an app on his phone before, so I had to set up the app store for him. But yet, within 10 minutes, he was flying a drone. And that's what I find really impressive, is that it didn't take much to get him up and running with a drone. So they're not scary at all. They're good mm. fun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's certainly something that's it's come up onto my radar, uh, you know, again. And, you know, we in, in years gone by, we've, you know, we looked at, you know, what number of uh, drones on the on the podcast. And, yeah, they had very, very earliest days when we were just getting started. Yeah. Um, uh, who was a parrot, I think, um, you know, whoever they was looking after them locally organized one for it. Nice and, uh, okay. And, uh, <laughs> somehow we managed to, uh, we managed to, um, Break it, shall we say? Yeah, they've uh, exited the market now. <laughs> like so, most other drone manufacturers, they've exited the market because DJI have just innovated at a pace that no one else can compete yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it's good to be good to be chatting uh, drones again. It's been been great. Um, well, thanks everyone for listening in. You can track me down on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Uh, Paul Spain is uh, is my handle. Um, we are often uh, streaming these onto uh, onto Facebook. So if you're interested in catching the New Zealand Tech Podcast. A, a, a little bit, uh, little bit sooner um, than uh, than the usual kind of uh, overnight through your podcast app. Uh, you may be able to uh, catch the the video stream uh, varies from week to week how often we're uh, we're doing that. But uh, you know, m- most weeks we are tending to uh, uh, to do a live stream on Facebook. Uh, thanks to Christian working uh, working the desk there and, uh, and making it all happen. Uh, so that's it for us. We'll catch you again next week. All right, see ya. Thanks. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. 
brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT.